Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, then you're already disturbed. It's like a couple of French bulldogs in the room. I know. Do you know as well, Tom, before you meet him, he can only breathe through one nostril. (laughs) True story. So he is a bit of a heavy breather. Why one nostril? Like ever. Yeah. There's operations for that. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't asked too many questions about it. I think you should jab him in the nose. I think that would clear that up. Or like a firm, swift palm to the forehead. I think that's maybe what happened. He said he went into a glass window when he was a baby. Fucking hell. Who's throwing babies through glass windows? <laughs> he said he was crawling really fast, but that sounds like what your parents make up when they abuse you. Yeah, a little bit. Although I did jump off a chair and went, catch me! And no one did. They called my brother. I said to my mum, did you have to cat- choose between me and Nick? And they she- were like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we chose Nick. Every He's the bloodline! <laughs> Fuck you, Nick. Anyway... <laughs> The story I'm going to be doing this week. Hi, welcome to the Slaughter Podcast. That was a bit of last podcast on the lefty, wasn't it? Like, we'll start halfway through this conversation. I just wanted to clarify that there's going to be some heavy breathing, possibly. (laughs) We can't help it. Um, So yeah, welcome to the podcast. We're UK True Crime. I love how we're announcing what we do now. I thought I'd bring an element of professionalism. Like every week we tell each other. 10 minutes into the podcast, (laughs) I'd bring the professionalism. So I'm going to bring you a tale called the Peasen Hall Murder. Peasen Hall. Peasen Hall. So majority of research comes from a book called Murderous East Anglia by Joanna Elphick. Um, Also a follow-up documentary, Julian Fellows Investigates. Mm. Julian Fellows off of the creator of Downton Abbey. So you can imagine it was a rather fabulous documentary. So... Sunday the 1st of June 1902, the body of Rose Harsent was found in the kitchen of the large house where she worked. It was called Providence House in Suffolk in the village of Peasenhall. So she was found on her back. She had a couple of stab wounds to her chest and her throat had been violently cut. It, at first, people thought that there'd been an attempt to burn the body But then later they said it's more likely that she dropped the lamp that she'd been holding or an oil lamp that was on the side and part of her clothes had been singed. There was also nearby a broken medicine bottle and there was a strong smell of paraffin around. So this often made me think immediately that 
originally when I thought maybe someone tried to burn a body that things are harder to burn bodies are blood they're mostly water exactly like things don't burn easy like do you know that you hear about those tire fires in America I don't know how rubber does not fucking burn but it also doesn't go out either is that not the problem maybe it just singes forever I think we learnt from wood burner gate that I don't understand <laughs> fires. I've I've mastered the wood burner. It's fucking hot now. It's amazing. If I was a caveman, I'd be dead. <laughs> Although I'd be the cave woman. Would we be in charge of fires? Oh, we weren't allowed near the fires. Then I'd be fine. I'd just haul my way around the caves. Unless I also I watched a documentary this week about IKEA. Oh. on netflix yeah. and basically it's are about they up to no good as well they're not up to no good that's what i was worried about but basically they did some sort of design collaboration with tom dixon who wanted to create not a sofa bed a bed sofa but it didn't meet restrictions <laughs> and they showed loads of clips where he they were trying like testing its flammability and it just was literally setting on fire in seconds what's the difference between a bed sofa and a sofa bed something about density of mattress no he wanted it to be a bed first and a sofa second sit on your bed that's basically what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I remember those really old ones for old people where you had a little remote and you could make the bed Sit you lean up. up. I want that. That's good. That's the dream. Um, the autopsy on Rose Harsnett also revealed later that she had been six months pregnant at the time of the Aww, murder. sad. So the night that it had happened had been one of the fiercest storms that they'd seen in a really long time. There was loud rain, loud thunder, and this could have very easily masked the sounds of an intruder into the home. However, it was thought almost certain that Rose knew her attacker. A search of her room revealed some letters, and one in particular was an anonymous letter um, from a lover. It was presumed also that this was her killer asking her to put a light in her window to signify her availability and then he would come to her at midnight. That doesn't sound legit. Well, it's very much like, um, if you remember ages ago, I did a story about Mary Piercy and she was having an affair with a married man and she would put a candle in her window whenever she was available so he knew he could come over. I do not remember this at all. <laughs> well, then... I remember nothing we've ever said on this podcast. Well, then I went in a weird little candle in a window um, rabbit hole and looking at maybe you just attracted old ladies to your house i did (laughs) i did attract a weird old lady to my house i think she's dead now but basically this the whole thing came about back when the british originally invaded ireland in the 12th century and then later when the protestant movement became really big so basically they their idea was to try and break the country by breaking their religion so at Christmas time, Catholic families that would want to have a priest come and visit and give them a blessing and sacrament and stuff like that. So they would, that was their little secret symbol. They'd put the candle in the window and leave the door unlocked so the priest could sneak in oh. and do a little Christmas blessing. Okay. Sneak off again. There's loads of interesting stuff about it. Obviously. Priest. obviously, we've had like priest holes and stuff. You've got those in like loads of castles and things. But they, your little boys as well. Yeah. I also oh. heard about hedge masters, which apparently were like sunday school teachers that would hide in a hedge and like teach children <laughs> without them knowing <laughs> without them knowing possibly <laughs> or Psst, jesus died for you <laughs> or it was just, yeah or it was definite grooming they're like what are you doing <laughs> to those children teaching them <laughs> yeah. about jesus so Basically, it's believed that this is what happened on the night of Rose Harson's murder, that there'd been no break in or cry of alarm because the attacker had been welcomed in by her signal 
So Rose had come from quite humble beginnings. She was the daughter of an illiterate laborer and then she'd become the servant of Mr. and Mrs. Crisp at Providence House in an attempt to better herself. She was known as pretty, she was quick-witted and it was within the Methodist community of Peasen Hall uh, that she displayed the proper amount of religious commitment. So she'd found some sort of acceptance there. So her position wasn't in, in service wasn't as bad as many girls at the time. She obviously worked mainly in the kitchen and she had her own staircase that went directly from the kitchen up to her room. So it was kind of like almost a self-contained apartment and she could come and go in pl- as she pleased in her free time. I've been on worse holidays than that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so I think she was able to be a little more sexually adventurous with gentlemen callers than perhaps other serving girls would have been. Oh, hello. Another man in the village was William Gardner. He was also a well-respected member of the Methodist community. They went to the same chapel and he too had known a difficult childhood. He was born into the workhouse, uh, but he had worked to become foreman at the local drill manufacturing works. He'd married the daughter of a Methodist grocer. They had cut them off because he was far below her at the time, but he had quite a few children with her five six children and he sort of confirmed himself as a pillar of the community he was a leader of the sunday school and he was also the organist which gives you big brownie points with god (laughs) so rose and william only lived yards apart from each other they could see each other's house from where they were so then they would have had chance to meet all the time they'd have seen each other in chapel on sundays he's a bit of a dirty dog like he's punched above his weight to start with had a bunch of kids and then he's well we don't know that he hasn't snuck off with her yet Mm. or ever potentially he's just admired her from afar well they would he would teach her how to play the organ oh his organ (laughs) Um, so we teach to play the organ and I think she helped out at Sunday school a bit. She would clean the chapel. Like there would be just loads of opportunities. Once you're in church, like you can always be in church if you want to. Yeah. So they would meet all the time for various activities. But despite the fact that they were in regular contact, they also began to exchange letters. So they were seemingly friendly in nature usually just about organs and stuff it's weird how people would just hang out and then i guess it's like the equivalent of texting but i guess you'd have to be there face to face and be like, i wrote you this letter i think the thing is that if you text it's an immediate thing like or oh, i need to tell you this before i next see you yeah whereas with a letter you're writing down things that are basically just your feelings because there's no point yeah. asking a question because you're not going to get the answer in time there's no point giving a bit of quick information because you might as well go see them yeah I think that's why they're a bit more intimate yeah But at the time, even though they were friendly, to send letters between a man and a woman Mm. was still a hint that there was an understanding between them. If two unmarried people were sending letters to each other, you'd assume that they had some sort of understanding. Um, So I think the fact that he was married sort of covered it a bit, but it did indicate that their relationship was becoming slightly more familiar than was proper. Yeah, if Luke started sending letters to a woman, even if he was texting someone just to chat i'd still be a bit like okay does luke have instagram no because i was gonna say is he liking anyone's pictures no that can drive you crazy that world (laughs) good keep him from it so a year before rose's death in 1901 there had been a scandal 
that shook the village involving both Rose and William Gardner. Two men, a Wright and Skinner, um, claimed that they had seen Gardner and Rose Harsent. They saw them enter the chapel and then they listened outside where they said that they heard the two of them going at it. I mean... In an unholy manner. They were definitely trying... I mean, they could have been doing lots of things. There's lots of spiritual work that would require you to get out of breath. And they exclaim words like, oh God. Yes, exactly. Jesus. Oh Jesus. Take me, Jesus. I'm coming. Fill me, Jesus. Yeah. Come here now. Come in me. (laughs) Fill me up with your love. Yeah. Did you ever watch... The Horn and Corden show. Yes. And James Corden, who Americans will know as well now from being over there, and his ex-mate, Big Drums. But um, Is that the one where they did the farmer's market sketch? I don't know that. But I remember they would do a sketch a couple of times where they pretended to be like Christian youth workers. And they would sing fake worship songs. (laughs) And having grown up in church, it was absolutely spot on hilarious. And they would always be innuendos. So you can imagine the kind of organ songs they were playing. Yeah. Well, their story was that she was cleaning the chapel and... Praying. She'd called him over to help her because the door had got swollen from the rain, the wooden door. Oh, and oh he, God. The it's wood huge, was swollen. swollen. <laughs> Look, I didn't think of it that way. That's huge and swollen. She, she just asked right him. Right in front of her. He needed, he came to help put the swollen wood back in the <laughs> hole. Okay, now that I'm saying it out loud, I realise it sounds... <laughs> He was pushing the swollen wood back in its hole. It was tight and it needed a real man to help out. (laughs) You've got a filthy mind. (laughs) I honestly did not envisage this happening. That's (laughs) so well, okay. Well, now it seems obvious. Guilty. Yeah, like I've changed my mind. (laughs) So that's what they'd claimed they'd heard. So it's thought possible that, um, because William Gardner was like quite preachy, he was very fervent and a Methodist, that this made him unpopular with some of his workers yeah, and that they sort of jumped at the chance to... Have... So who wouldn't complain about doing this work? Jesus on the cross. <laughs> like, oh, for fuck's sake, William, stop going on. Yeah, so I think they were like quite happy that they could sort of call him out for something. They were quite disgruntled, wanted to yeah, have him as a hypocrite. So William obviously denied all claims of this, denied that they were having an affair and he sort of set about saying that he was going to pursue legal action unless he got an apology for the defamation of his character. Two days after the scandal was revealed, Gardner's wife gave birth to their seventh child. And such rumours could ruin his family as well as his position in the church now. And then on the um, documentary that I watched with Julian Fellows, he spoke about this moment as that his wife had been delivered of another daughter. So like an evil spirit had been expelled from her. She was delivered <laughs> from it. Like, thank God. It's that not is like it had died and she didn't have to put up with it. A little bit. So um, because there's not really a criminal offense to go around, I mean, you can sue someone, but not a big deal if you say someone's ha- you've heard them having sex. That the dispute was settled by the church elders. They had an inquiry to try and settle it. So both men 
gave their side of the story and they both refused to back down and stuck vehemently to what they'd said. Um, so it was basically left to the elders to decide with no actual evidence on either part of it. It's like a fake court that means nothing. Yeah, but it's unsurprising then that they found in favour of William Gardner, yeah, who's their, it's like their Sunday school teacher, their organist. He's saying a story and then this other guy's saying something else and there's no evidence either way. So they agreed, look, he's found innocent, it's fine. But the scandal still affected him and he decided to resign from his duties in the chapel. I think basically so that no one could say he was abusing his power. He was Mm. like, look, I'll just stop then. Uh, But he was still an attendee of the church and just wanted to make sure there was no further talk. And then obviously, Rose, a man can quit and be found innocent, but she's still tainted by this association. They still assume that she must have done something. Even if he's innocent, she probably tried to woo him. So she um, was basically said that she wasn't welcome at the church anymore. And a lot of people in the community didn't want to speak to her anymore. That's harsh. William Gardner did eventually drop his legal action against Wright for his defamation of character, mainly because the guy was so poor that even if he won, he'd have no chance of any sort of um, compensation for it. And then things worsened still for him when Gardner's newborn child failed to survive. I feel bad. I made a joke about it now. Yeah, it did die. I was like, oh, bring it up later. (laughs) So... While Gardner worked hard to try and reinstate his reputation as a dutiful husband and Methodist leader, Rose became involved with a young man called Fred Davis. It's thought that he had feelings for her, perhaps unrequited, but he supplied her with a manual on how to perform home terminations. Oh, shit. Which I'm impressed that it was easy to come by. Read that manual. I don't know. I bet it was grim. I think at the time it was a lot of different home remedies for poisons, basically poisoning yeah. yourself. Also instructions on how to have a controlled fall downstairs. Oh God! Um, with the main ones, and then you have this back- is what happens when abortions illegal. Yeah, and then your backstreet abortions, obviously, where they jam things and like rip like it a coat out. Hangers, but they yeah. can kill more women than mm. they do. So I think yeah, I think it was mainly different poison. Oh, hot baths as well, but like hot so it burns, yeah. stuff like that. That's horrible. Not fun. And it was kind of thought it was a bit weird because there was this point uh, in time where abortions were also seen as another way of men's control. Like as, around this sort of time, um, yes we can see it as women taking control of their bodies, but they, they, another reason that blocked it from becoming more commonplace was they're like, oh, if women can abort it, then men are just going to fuck around and then force women to abort it so they never have oh, any yeah, responsibilities. So anyway, she had this manual from him and he also gave her, I don't know whether she asked for them or not, but he gave her a lot of X-rated poems <laughs> that were also found in her room. No, I would death. like to read them. I didn't find those, unfortunately. Um, But now she knew she was pregnant. And as kind as her employers, the Crisps, were, they were pretty much certain that they'd still send her away or keep her, but her baby would have to be brought up in a workhouse. And so she needed to terminate it. But any attempts to terminate it herself were either too horrific to go through or she was unsuccessful in them. 
So 31st of May 1902, when she was six months pregnant, a heat wave was finally broken by a huge thunderstorm. And it was remembered and noticed by many of the villagers who watched the lightning from their doorways. And this was the night of Rose Harsant's murder and William Gardner was to be the prime suspect. So it was observed that he arrived home at like nine o'clock that night and he stood chatting with a neighbour on his porch at 10pm because they both remarked on a light coming from a window in Providence House at such a late hour, presumably Rose putting her candle out for her gentleman friend. William and his wife Georgina then spent the next few hours at the home of another neighbour, a Mrs Dickinson. Bit late. Apparently she'd requested their company because she was scared of the thunderstorm and wanted yeah. them to come and sit up with her. I think she was quite old. Um, well, they you think just leave all their kids at home. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I've got thunderstorm. six kids. They can stay home. This old woman wants her to sit. Also, yeah. if you're old, you might have lived through a few more thunderstorms. Maybe yeah. you're not as scared. But his wife, though she could account for his whereabouts until about 1.30, admitted that she returned home first and then William returned home later, which could have allowed him time to go to, across the road to Providence mm. House. The next morning... It was Rose Harson's father who discovered the body as he came to drop off some laundry. And here he found his daughter at the bottom of the stairs with cuts to her throat and chest and the strong smell of blood and burning coming from the oil lamp. And she was 23 years old Aww. at this time. So as police investigated this scene and Rose's room, they found two notes from William Gardner written months before the murder. And they were both completely unromantic in nature. But this didn't put them off necessarily the assumption of possible romance because it was thought quite odd that she would yeah, actually quite, keep them. Yeah. Like if they're not that important notes, why have you kept holding and them above anything not, else? If it's not urgent news, why is he just writing you a note being like, hiya, how's it going? I think a couple of them referred, I think they referred back to the scandal sort of saying, I'm going to get an apology from this. Like, oh, okay. And then the third note was the unsigned message requesting the secret rendezvous. So Gardner was arrested only three days after Rose's body was found. And then Wright and Skinner, who'd originally come forth with hearing of the sex in the chapel, they began stirring up the rumours of the affair again. And on the 7th of November 1902, William Gardner was tried for murder at Suffolk Assizes in Ipswichshire Hall. The prosecution... I'm sure he's come up in a story before. Um, lawyer was the son of Charles Dickens, Sir Henry Dickens. Ooh. And the defense was a Mr. Ernest Wilde, who seemed to somewhat... Son of Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Unfortunately not. No. And he sort of paled in comparison to the great Dickens. So the trial seemed to only really present circumstantial evidence uh, surrounding the possible affair, which he had been found kind of innocent of. They'd also had found some blood on a hinge in Mr. Gardner's penknife, but he used his penknife for skinning animals. All they knew was that it's blood from a mammal. So yeah. quite likely it was the rabbit that he'd been preparing for supper. And then the notes from Gardner were compared, the handwriting was compared to the one requesting the midnight meeting. And it was thought, oh, he's disguised his handwriting, but it's sort of similar not close enough to say anything at all. And Garner denied all the accusations fiercely. So the jury were unable to reach a unanimous verdict. And at the time it was required that it be unanimous. It was 11 to one in favor of guilty. Oh, good enough. 
So they ordered a second trial, and this was January 1903. So the new jury heard all the same evidence, um, including that the broken medicine bottle that had been found next to her body had a label um, prescribed to a Mrs. Gardner. So it is thought that possibly this bottle was from him there was also some newspaper there that was from a newspaper the crisp didn't subscribe to but the gardeners did but then it seemed too obvious like why would you place these things there it's also said that mrs gardner did was quite friendly with rose and had lent her the bottle but decanted some camphor oil into it and lent it to her so this time the jury still couldn't agree on a verdict 11 to 1 again but this time in favor of gardeners acquittal oh shit so at this point, the director of public prosecutions felt that a third trial would just be farcical now. There was no new evidence from either trial and it clearly wasn't enough to convict him twice. So William Gardner was just released. Um, no one else was ever charged with the murder of Rose Harsent and the Gardners left Peasenhall to start their life elsewhere until he died in 1941. Shit. So it is unsolved. My- fucking unsolved as well no the same oh my god they're so similar this week one unsatisfying episode ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Right, so I'm going to be telling 
the story of the Beast of Hornchurch, which comes a lot, quite a lot, from the book Essex Murders by Linda Stratman. <laughs> Sorry. Is she really... the Beast of Hornchurch? No, she's the writer of all this shit. Maybe we should just give ourselves names. She did the hard work, so I don't have to. Like, I'm not planning on being a murderer, so no one's ever going to call me, like, the beast of anything. I just need to, I need to be like Gemma Collins. Beast. So I'll call myself the GC, but I'll be like, I don't know, the beast of something. Like, come on, name me. (laughs) I want to be infamous. We're drag names. We already said this. I want to be House of Cunt, like Mike Hunt. Hunt, House of Hunt. I know someone called Mike Hunt. I know, it's a fucking amazing name. Mick Hunt. Still funny. <laughs> right, so Hornchurch is a small town in Essex, funnily enough. And this story is from 1939, so we can kind of take the piss, but it's pretty graphic as well. Um, it had a population of about 90,800 at the time. A small town. You've got to drive Is that after this. Even a small town, ninety thousand people. It feels like a lot. That feels like a lot of people. That's as many people as I could not remember them. You could introduce me to all ninety thousand people, and I would remember precisely zero names. Well, I think that's. I think the area that it was in was pretty piddly because they isn't that all related? They all knew the milkman. And he'd been there they for all had the same granddad. <laughs> Maybe. So Pamela Doreen Coventry, don't take the piss because she dies, was a friendly girl, a little shy, very well liked. She played music, went to the local school. Um, she lived near the school, so she would go she home. She sounds like a drag. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> she does. <laughs> I don't want to be friends with her. Well, she was just a cute kid. Um, but she would walk home at lunchtime, which does mean she probably didn't have any friends. Uh, there was always those kids at school where there that would go home at lunch. You're like, what? But she did live pretty near school. So she'd walk along South End Road, along Coronation Drive, and through Elm Park Shopping Centre to get home at lunchtime, which was all pretty open, all pretty... Um, there weren't really any like dark alleyways or areas that you couldn't see anything. I would hope not at lunchtime. Yeah, but it was all pretty open. So 3rd of January 1939, Pamela walked home around 6.30pm, which January 6.30, that would probably was yeah, dark, dark. Um, after a music lesson. So she asked her mum when she got in, could she go and run an errand for a man from Coronation Drive uh, who had ha- asked her on the way home. So she'd obviously been asked and then walked off to tell her mum. Her mum said, fuck oh, no. Oh, the man asked her to run yeah. an errand. Her mum said, who is she this guy? She should have said, no way, Erin Brockovich. <laughs> I love Erin Brockovich, though. It's one of my favourites. That and Green Mile. I know they're polar opposites, but <laughs> I do love them, mate. That just There's made a... my brain hurt. I was like, <laughs> I don't see the connection. There is none. Um, but, so she... Um, so she told her mum about this errand, and her mum said, definitely not, because this... You don't know this guy. And he's a, a proper adult. So, Wednesday 18th January. So, this is a few weeks later. Pamela went off to school. She did the morning at school. Then she set off home at lunch. 
She got home, had lunch as usual, then set off back to school, but never arrived. Like, what kind of lunch is she having? Because if it's sandwiches, you can take those. <laughs> so unless she's having, like, full lasagna every lunchtime, it's so not worth it. I, re- I remember I used to envy those kids who came home at lunch. I tried it once, but it was a good 20 minutes for me to walk home and a good 20 minutes back. So I had about 10 minutes home. <laughs> We used to all go to like, there's one kid whose grandma lived quite close to school. So if we asked a day before, she'd do us all a jacket potato oh. at lunchtime. We used to go to Matt's grandma's house. So we went to the chippy shop. Not every yeah. day, but like we'd walk around there. I'd buy some lumber and butler cigarettes. I was like, smoke a couple. I'm just playing with some nan's cat. <laughs> smoking cigarettes. Lumber and butler. Lumber and scuttler. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, so she never arrived back at school, but l- no one called home because these were the days where no phones. Well, well, not, even when I was at school, no one not giving a shit. Yeah, no one gave a shit. If I missed a day of she school, she probably just got married and grew up. Like, <laughs> she's fourteen, goddammit. She, she's got a house of her own now. Well, she was somewhere between the ages of nine and eleven. Reports oh. differ. She's pretty young. Reports differ. Reports differ. No one could decide, but um. She didn't arrive back at school. They just marked her as absent. And then when her mum went to meet her at the end of the day, she obviously wasn't there. So she reported her missing. She told the police who started looking for her immediately. That night she didn't come home. No sign of her. The next day people began searching for Pamela, looking everywhere. At 10.30 in the morning, the next day, 19th of January... Pamela's body was found by a Charles Horseman who was cycling home from his job as a night watchman, was basically like a night security guard. And he found the body in a ditch on a road near Coronation Drive. Now she was lying. Actually dead in a ditch. Actually dead in a ditch. Lying on an old rotting mattress, which obviously had been there first. Um, she was naked. She had her knees bent up to her chin. Oh no. Her arms by her sides. And her face pushed in the ditch. And she was held like this with an electrical cable, which was tied around her body. And her petticoat was tied around her neck. And she had blood in her nostril. Oh, God. That was bad. Horrific. Fucking hell. So Charles obviously freaked out. But he ran to the nearest house and they phoned the police. A doctor came and Pamela was declared dead, obviously. And she'd been dead for several hours. And she'd been sexually assaulted as well. So a post-mortem showed she had been hit in the lower jaw, probably with a fist. So she'd been punched in the face, hadn't killed her, and then she'd been strangled to death. Now, looking at her body showed that it was too clean to have been assaulted in the ditch. So she'd obviously been assaulted somewhere in a house or somewhere cleaner and then her body had been placed there. Now, her stomach had undigested food in, so she died within an hour of eating her lunch. So she died the day before. They always say you should wait an hour. They do. But they hadn't. And that's what killed her. <laughs> no, it's not. But <laughs> She went swimming. <laughs> that's the end. So... <laughs> Sorry. So... um. And the body was also dry, so it must have been placed... So she didn't go swimming. That's confirmed. There we go. So she'd obviously been placed there in the morning as it had rained overnight. So they'd... they'd, She'd she'd been sexually assaulted, killed, or in the opposite order, ideally. And then 
um, been somewhere overnight and then been put in the ditch in the morning. Uh, the cable she was tied with was the type that you use for garden plants and it had quite um, tarred string attached to it um, and it obviously been in someone's garden. So when they untied the body, when they pulled her body down, a cigarette end came out from... Lambert and Butler. It was you! <laughs> not Lambert Butler, um, came out that had been pressed between her thigh and her chest and it was hand-rolled and it must have been the killers because obviously it had collected there and then she'd been pushed up so someone had been smoking once she was dead. So that was the first real bit of strong evidence. Now, most people believe the killer must be local. Um, so children were not allowed to walk home alone from school. Obviously, parents were getting really vigilant. Um, they were walking their parents at their walking their parents, walking their kids home. There'd already been some weird behaviour in the area and it was reported that um, men had been approaching women and children, which is pretty dodgy. Um, And then they were leaving letters on paths saying things like, um, to the reader of this letter, I will pay you however much, £2, probably not that much because that would be worth a lot then, if you meet me on a quiet country lane near here at a certain time. I know a few people who would have done that. That's weird. But most kids aren't stupid enough to do that, surely. Anyway, it was believed that Pamela would not be dumb enough to do that because, I mean, she ran home I don't think there'd be anyone that would fall for street notes. I mean, do you remember Pokemon Go when there was all that hype about kids might go down a quiet lane to chase, or people might come and say, oh, there's a Pikachu down there. They'd go down a quiet lane with an older person. Have people been killed from Pokemon Go? Not that I know of. Although my friend did uh, crash her car a bit because she was playing it while she was driving. That's bad. Don't lie, you didn't. I didn't, did I? I bet you. I feel like those days are so far behind me. You were so into Pokemon. You got your kids to run around trying to hatch the egg. I did. Like only my (laughs) most annoying children. I'd be like, okay, just take my phone and walk around the field. (laughs) That is not learning. It was the summer. (laughs) It was the summer of 2016, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a different time. (laughs) So 21st of January. This is... Three days after the murder, Pamela's Wellingtons were found in a ditch in a paper bag. And the police believed that the killer had burned all of her clothes, but obviously they couldn't burn the wellies. You can't burn rubber! You can't burn rubber. I learned that 15 minutes ago from you. Um, So they had to get rid of them. So they'd put him out in the ditch. Now, Pamela's mum had also given details of the man who had asked Pamela for the favour of the errand. So that was a big line of inquiry. So school friends had also said that they'd seen Pamela talking to a man on Coronation Drive. So police knocked on all the houses of the street and they also spoke to the milkman, Walter Glynn, who had been delivering to the street for years and he knew everyone and he saw everything. So he suggested Leonard Richardson, who was 28, married, two children, but his wife had been in the hospital giving birth when Pamela had gone missing. So she was in the hospital between the 9th and 22nd of January. Oh, so it wasn't ages. a great one then. Well, I think pe- I think they just kept them in because careful. Um, so the older child had been looked after by his wife's sister and his wife's other sister. Yeah, you can't possibly have your dad look after you. I know, you. but the wife's other sister had been coming, 
over to cook his dinners and do the housework so he wasn't allowed to do shit i mean i think he might have had special needs the amount of effort they're going to i mean if he was the guy that was also leaving notes on the street then it's pretty certain he had special needs (laughs) i mean who wouldn't trust the father with the child that's weird yeah i mean what need like what does the vagina give to help you look after a child like if she's using her vagina in the looking after of the Feed child, the pancreas. then it's an inappropriate babysitter. <laughs> yeah. The genitals should not be involved. It's like when a bird like regurgitates food. <laughs> so that's going to be some really good pelvic floor workout. If you can use it to chew food. I'll stick a banana up there, and then I've twenty minutes kegels. later, <laughs> my kegels can crack a walnut. <laughs> So Leonard was a shift worker and he was he worked at a factory in Dagenham and he rode a bicycle to work, um, but in bad weather he would take the train. Now the week before Pamela went missing, he worked 6am to 3pm, so he was on the early shift. And the milkman would call for him at 5am um, to make sure that he got up for work, which is quite cute really, that they had this closer relationship that he'd say, can you just wake me up as you're on your round? Um, although... If he didn't call you, could you really blame him for being late for work? So the week she disappeared, he was on the late shift, which was 2pm till 11pm. And the milkman had seen Leonard, obviously he didn't call for him in the morning, but he'd seen him on the 18th of January, which was the day that Pamela did go missing, riding his bike down the road. And he said that he, he said that Leonard was riding the bike, that he saw Walter the milkman, um, turned around and went home, which he thought was weird. Now, the next day, he was surprised that Leonard was up at 5.20am as he saw the light on when he was doing his rounds. And he thought, why would he be up if he's on the late shift? That's weird. And that's the day that Pamela's body was found. Now, 26th of January, Leonard was questioned about the murder. He asked to smoke during the interview and he hand-rolled a cigarette, and as soon as he'd hand-rolled it, the police confiscated all his tobacco, all his papers, and the cigarette that he'd rolled. Those were given to an expert at the Imperial Tobacco Laboratory called Mr. Johnny Mann. Oh, it sounds like a Dickens character, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I bet he's a miserable fucker. (laughs) Um, And he confirmed they matched the one that they found on Pamela, and both had the same tobacco... And the same watermark on the paper. Ooh, how very Sherlock. I know. They also both used an unusual reverse fold on one corner of the paper and were smaller at one end than the other. Like, so, fuck DNA. That's the one. Well, you'd think. So it was also noticed that Leonard, when they were questioning him, he had a small abrasion on its knuckle. Remember, Pamela had been punched in the face. Um, He had cuts on both knuckles, but one of them was a lot fresher than the other. Now, on Monday, 16th of January, so this is before the murder, Leonard had had an accident at work where a chemical had bubbled over and hurt his eyes. It still worked as usual. He'd still come home at a normal time. And then he decorated his house till 3 a.m. Don't decorate if you're partially blind. I did the worst (laughs) task to do. I did think that was weird, but there's a lot of times that Luke's been doing that. (laughs) It's not therapeutic painting. Not after an accident, but Jay, when we've had the carpet fitter coming the next morning, (laughs) he 
he's like shit he lo- he loves the deadline he won't do anything to the deadline and then he will just i'm just imagining him in the morning when his eyesight's a bit better like going in his living room and it's like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen has been in there like what was all this zebra <laughs> print about i never knew if you're a non it looked like magnolia to me <laughs> if you're a non uk listener Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen was a 90s was it 90s uh sort of makeover show host who had eclectic taste very eclectic taste so he didn't recall the tuesday um when he'd but he said that he'd gone to work and then on the wednesday he got the train to work that's the day that pamela died um so he decorated the house in the morning got up early his sister-in-law had come and cooked lunch from 1 to 1 30 He'd left for work at 1.40. He'd got there at 2. Now, he found out when he got there, the man before him had gone home early from work because he'd had another, he'd had an accident at this workplace. And so Leonard told the manager about his accident and he said that he didn't feel very well and he went home. I mean, I don't know what the manager's thinking, that every person on shift is having a jolly, but they let him go home. So he got home at 3 p.m. So the timeline doesn't match for getting the Pamela. So, yeah, I mean, she went missing probably about one thirty, which is after his sister-in-law left, but before he went to work. So literally, that ten-minute window. Yeah, and then after three p.m., his sister-in-law came over shortly after that to get her umbrella and to wash up. I mean, he's doing shit all here um and then he had a nap and he went to the diy shop and to the doctor to see about his eyes he got a prescription and went home to decorate again um and then he went to bed at midnight so he's a busy boy so he admitted to approaching a girl just never with looking after himself or his children gotta decorate though so he admitted that he'd approached a girl to do an errand and he'd asked her to go and buy tobacco but they said that she'd run away, so he'd asked a neighbour's kid to do it instead. His neighbour said he'd seen this as well, that the girl had been approached by him. It seems likely, like his number one option for getting things done is to ask a woman to do it. <laughs> Pretty much. So they said that he'd seen him go up to a girl, she'd run off, and then um, they also, the factory had agreed that he'd reported an accident, so that was corroborated, and that he'd left early two days later, and the doctor also confirmed that they'd seen him. 28th of January, a parcel was found so by... So if he did do this murder, like, he really did cram it in. I mean, there's enough time... Not to really enjoy it. No. <laughs> so... <laughs> Try to think how I lead on from that. <laughs> But he would have have to have been really quick. I think he would have have to have grabbed and killed her, and then maybe disposed of her later. Which is kind of what happened. Like we know that it was yeah the morning after yeah for sure. And he was home alone. Just he could he could have done it. So twenty eighth of January, a parcel was found by a schoolboy. So it was wrapped in newspaper and it was um, tied together with tape. And in it, it had a length of rolled up cable, which is identical to the one used to tie up Pamela. And it had badges off her coat. So basically, the killer had just got rid of any evidence that if they searched his house, 
would have been there. So there's nothing left to find now. So all they could find really is stuff from her body now because all the evidence was totally gone. Now from Leonard's house, he could easily have walked out of his garden to where the body was found unseen. So there was an easy path round the back. Now one of Leonard's neighbours handed in a piece of green cable with string attached and he said that Leonard had given him the cable the December before and it was pretty much identical to what had been found wrapped around Pamela. But he also said Leonard had said to him that working with chemicals had given him sexual feelings and that he suspected Leonard but he couldn't really say why which was pretty weird but also just fucking say it this is a murder case mate so yeah very odd first of february i didn't even know how to process that working with chemicals gave leonard sexual feelings apparently i think he was getting sexual feelings and trying to work out why maybe but then also or maybe they were working with some kind of fucked up chemicals maybe or maybe he was just a frustrated husband whose wife was pregnant there's that that's what it said in the book <laughs> maybe they were like why do you always come here leonard and he was like i'm just horny for work <laughs> maybe and then it just became totally misconstrued so first of february leonard was charged with the murder of pamela coventry they examined his clothing his bike and his shed and they found more cable with tape similar to on the part um more cable in the shed that was similar to what was wrapped around Pamela, although fairly common, um, and tape that was similar to what was wrapped around the pan- the package with the badges in it. So people were really surprised because they, I think they assumed with the murder that it was going to be some weird loner guy that was arrested for it. And he was a family man. He'd got a He'd been on his own baby. for like two weeks. Yeah. And he wasn't even that alone. No, he had family nipping in every day. So... I think they were expecting a weird loner and a wreck, weird glasses, that kind of thing. I imagine what he would have done if she'd left him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he appeared in court and he wore the same grey suit and tie every time he went to court. Obviously, he had this one best outfit. I mean, to be fair, why would he need more than one suit anyway? He's working in a factory. Um, and he always seemed really calm and his family always went to court as well. The prosecution hinged their case around the cigarette, the cable and the tape from the parcel. All of these fell apart at court. They're all really circumstantial, aren't they? Really circumstantial. So the cigarette, Lena's wife was quite clever actually because she went around and she collected a load of cigarettes from um, neighbours and from factory floors and she put them in a little package um, and they analysed them as well and they found that lots of them had been rolled in exactly the same way as the one that had been found on the body. So they couldn't really say it was that unusual anymore. And Mr Jollyman was... I guess you've all learnt it from each other. If you're in that small community and you're all lads learning to smoke together, someone's teaching someone the weird reverse fold. Maybe. And Mr Jollyman was questioned and he had to admit that there were a lot of cigarettes that would use that paper and that tobacco and of the cigarettes collected by Leonard's wife, 11 of the 18 had the same paper. 
So they couldn't really use that as evidence. Well, then if Lennon's wife collects them, that's not really evidence because she could have just picked up all the buttons from her own garden and been like, got these from different people. Yeah, she could well have done, but they accepted it and they went with it. But, I mean, she was definitely trying to prove that he was innocent. I mean, it's... He I must think, have been a good enough husband then. Yeah. Although I suppose it's Unless still... she's trying to prove to herself that she couldn't have picked someone who's capable of that. And I guess if she's got children with him, it's still a time where if he did go down for it, she could still end up quite destitute. And if you really believed it, wouldn't you be worried about your own children? Mm. It's too horrific what had actually happened for you to actually believe it. It's too horrific to believe anyone had done it a bit. Because it's... It's grim. really awful. It's like really killing a, a a lover and something. You can always be like, oh, you know, crime of passion. But how horrendously tied up and everything yeah. she was. And, and you wouldn't believe that anyone girl. you knew had done it, would you? No. Um, the table and the cape were deemed to be coincident, circumstantial, very popular. Very Wait, popular. Hold on. Tape. You said the table and the cape. Did I? Yeah, literally. The tape and the cable. That was brilliant. Well done. <laughs> Your brain just did a full 180. I've done three glasses of wine tonight. <laughs> so I the, was like, the cape? I missed this amazing <laughs> fact. Um, he was a magician. That changes everything. <laughs> He's definitely guilty. Um, so Leonard's sister-in-law gave accounts of the date as well. And she said that she'd seen Leonard on each trip to the house. Every time nothing unusual had happened. She had popped in, popped out. She said she didn't have a watch, so the timings that she gave were probably quite approximate, but that she felt like she would have known that something was up if something had been up and he wasn't scurrying around or looking concerned at any point. But again, she's family members. She's probably trying to protect her sister. You don't know. The next door neighbour had been home and she said she hadn't heard anything and she believes that she, you know, the walls were paper thin, that she would have heard something if something had happened. Um, and also one of the neighbours said that they'd seen him catch the train on the day that he'd said he'd caught the train. Now, blood spots were found on the inside of the sleeve of Lennon's coat. Now, the defence said that it was probably from his injured knuckle. But the prosecution said that if his knuckle was injured and it had been scraping on the coat, it would have been smears. It wouldn't have been spots. And actually, the spots could have been that his hand was round a girl's throat... And she'd breathed out, and that's why it would cause spots on the inside of the sleeve. So it could be to do with the strangling. However, it was you couldn't work out the blood group in those days. It was so sort of a possibility. It was just too difficult to pin it down to whether that could be true or not. And Richardson was really confident in court. He gave answers to everything. He didn't hesitate. He had his family there. They were all on his side the whole time. Um, and they were adamant that he was innocent as well. So before the jury even heard the closing statements, they said, this trial needs to end. There's not enough evidence. End of. And Leonard was let go. And a lot of them shook his hand afterwards and wished him good luck and said, you know, go live your life. I can see why that happened, to be honest. Yeah. As much as I want it to be, to know who it was. Mm. I can totally get why they wouldn't have convicted in that case. No, but um, just for the fact that they didn't seem enough time. So yeah, so no one ever went down for her murder. Now I've looked, I tried to look online. There's not a lot about this case. Um, there was a Reddit thread of people. Of course, they seem to think that 
Leonard was guilty, but only because I guess that's the only person to pin it on. But um, there was a woman who said on the Reddit thread, I know a lot more about this case if you want to get in touch. I was like, yeah, I fucking want to get in touch, but I couldn't find any way to get in touch with her. So if you're out there, oh, I can't remember what her name was. It was some weird something something Pamela. 68. She's probably dead now. <laughs> um, she... It could have been a lot of people. If you have a girl completely on her own, walking completely on her own every single day at the same time, anyone on that route between school and her house who who wanted to steal and fuck a girl... Yeah, like she would have been a target for anyone because they would see her every single day walking. They'd know where, where, and when, and that her mum wasn't even home at dinner time. Yeah, I used to walk home on my own every day. Well, not every day. I had a few. Friends. I used to walk home on my own from school, but there was a my mum was at home waiting, so like she'd know straight away if I didn't so get yeah, home. Yeah, no one was home waiting, and I used to talk to myself. And my friend used to drive past me, and they would always comment on the fact I talked to myself, and I was like, Egh. I don't think anything of it, but now. It was quite embarrassing. I think it was practice for podcasting, <laughs> to be honest. So thank you to listening. Thank you to listening. You're so drunk. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Slaughter. And I hope that you listen again. Um, and to this exact it. episode. Just re-listen. Yeah, just keep playing it. Does it count as extra players if they replay it? Probably. Yeah, keep playing it over and over. Just put it on mute. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. Buy our t-shirts. I'm going to release the new t-shirt design soon. <laughs> Keep checking. Spreadsheet on and um, if you go to our Facebook group, Slot the Podcast on Facebook, then the pinned post at the top of the page um, has links to our sites for merchandise. And you can sign up for Patreon. You can tweet us. You can tell your friends about the podcast. We love all those things. Thanks for listening. And listening to Slot, it doesn't make you a psycho. Burning Wellington's does. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.